How many of you guys love waiting? How many of you guys like waiting? How many of you guys know what waiting is? How, 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 how low do we set this bar? Waiting is such a part of life, right? It's such a part of the human experience. You know, there's, there's many, many, many kinds of waiting, right? There's good waiting, there's bad waiting. All waiting has some sort, right? There's, there's different kinds where maybe you know what's coming. Maybe you don't know what's coming. Maybe you know what the timing is. You're counting down to something. Maybe you don't. You know, we were driving, we, come, we just drove over from Houston. We got a minivan packed full of kids and snacks. And, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're doing the whole road trip and thing. We're flying down I-10, coming east. And there's on the, going west, there's a semi-truck that ran off the road. And, of course, there, you know, it, it gets closed. And it's, it stops still traffic, right? Like, they are stopped going the other way. And we just keep going. And for miles, it seems like it's just stop traffic on the other way and we're just like oh that's brutal and 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 Angela of course like has the natural sympathy to say they don't even know right they don't know what happened and they have no idea how long they're going to be sitting there right there's this there's this ignorance part of some some waiting where you just don't know Sometimes you do know, right? And you have a countdown. We're in the holiday season. Maybe you're at work and you have a countdown happen. You're like, no, 14 more days, 13 more days. You got maybe hours counting down to maybe when you get off work or when family comes in or when you go to see family or, right, you have a countdown. Maybe it's something like uh, the newest present that you've been expecting is already wrapped and under the tree and it's just sitting there waiting, staring at you and you have to wait before you can unwrap, right? There's so many different kinds of waiting. There's the painful waiting of maybe a, a waiting room, you know, depending on, on what, the, what the activity is that you're waiting on, maybe some sort of, of, of news, whether it's good or bad, and just the agony of waiting. There's so many kinds of waiting, but it's such a part of, of what it is to be human. And waiting, waiting is the stage set for the nativity story. It's the, the stage in which we see the introduction of the nativity is in this waiting. So, you know, most of you know, would probably know that we have, you know, there's this intertestamental period, basically means there's about 400 years between the end of the Old Testament in Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Matthew, Right? Or, you know, the, the four Gospels kick off about the same time. But, but that's about 400 years of the people of God, the nation of Israel, waiting. Right? They're waiting for something to happen. Some people don't wait and it gets a little weird. We get the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, but mostly it's a season of waiting and it ends... Because the Gospels kick off with this, this incredible character, the John, the John the Baptist, right? And you guys know the story of John the Baptist. You know, he will, will, that's maybe a take-home sermon. Go read, you know, Luke 1 and 2. But essentially, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, he prophesies over his son, John the Baptist. And we see in Luke 1, in Luke 1, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. I love whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is the like this, the beginning of the end of that season of waiting. He's prophesying of this coming sunrise, right? And of course, the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is all forward facing, right? It's all this expectant this holy expectancy looking forward at this coming Messiah. We have in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, and they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he may be glorified. Right? This, this, kinda, this has this tone, and it represents the Old Testament's forward-facing, looking towards this hope that they set in the Messiah coming to proclaim victory, to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted, to bring good news, right? This is the terminology, this is the expectation, this is looking forward to the moment that the Messiah will show up on the scene. You know, we also, in our house, if you, you guys know, you guys know this, this, this tune, Oh Holy Night? You know this, right? Uh, so we have this, you know, Angela put up on the wall, you know, we're decor we've, we've decorated, we've decked the halls, and on the wall there's this beautiful piece that has the lyrics of Oh Holy Night. And if you've ever, like, actually listened to the song, right, it's a beautiful song, we love singing, it's a beautiful melody, but if you read it, if you read the lyrics, they are incredible. So here we have, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The, the, I'm the incredible, the long lay the world. And this word pining, right? This, this deep yearning, this yearning, this pining for what is to come, this, this Messiah moment. You know, and maybe, maybe you can grant me a little missiological imagination here. This is going to step outside of the book of Isaiah. This is kind of more in the imag my imagination of what, what could, could it look like. You know, I, I think of this kind of, this, this sitting in darkness and this, this brokenness. The world waiting, needing the Messiah. I like to picture, I like to imagine at the same time, 
that while the Lord pines, or while the world pines, the Lord packs. You know, we, in our line of work, we do a lot of transition, we do a lot of moving, we do a lot of packing, right? We, everything that we have goes through many, many filters of what we're going to do, right? Is this thing that, you know, this, this thing in the kitchen or this specific book, does it make the cut to get in a bag that has to weigh under, under 50 pounds that we put on a plane and we go and we, we, we live somewhere? Is it worth it, right? But we're, everything is down to the, do we need this pencil, right? It's everything that we have is, is, is painfully and is strategically thought over. But all of those moments where we're packing and we're weighing things and we're planning and we're buying plane tickets and all of the things in preparation are all representing that this intentionality, this necessity to go, it's all part of the calling, right? This big picture missions, this big picture taking the gospel, making disciples that make disciples, it, it's incredible to think about, but it includes all those little day-to-day things, right? And so I imagine the, that, like, what was going through the Lord's mind and heart, the intentionality of preparing. You know, we're, as we pine, he's preparing, and he's getting ready. He is our first missionary, right? As the Father sent him, he is our missionary example that we look to. And so as this like BC dusk, right? This kind of ending of the darkness, it's kind of building towards the sunrise, maybe like a like an orchestra that's going through tuning trying to get in in uh in, in concert pitch, right? Maybe key of A or something. The, 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 the instruments are all kind of making these, this noise, right? To get in the same tune. And, but the idea is that everybody in that room knows that some, it's about to begin, right? Everything is heading towards this moment, all preparation, all things, all waiting. Everything is, is heading towards this moment where everything is about to begin and the sun is about to come up and then we have it and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered and what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This was the moment, the moment that every, everyone was waiting for. And of course, we know that all of history and humanity all changed in this moment because we know that when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. John 1.14 puts it incredibly simple, but also very profound. We have the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, if you know anything about church history, we have this incredible kind of niche thing called the Desert Fathers and Mothers, about 500 AD, and they had this thing called the breath prayer, where you'd have something simple but profound that you would just, kind of like your breath, where you would just say over and over and over and over and over. And I feel like this is an incredible Christmas season breath prayer, where I could just say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us over and over and over, right? The, the word became flesh, that first half, the word became flesh. We have, to some degree, to some shadow, we have some understanding of what it means to leave our comfort zone and to go into difficult situations and contexts, right? We have this, this understanding that we are able to potentially see a sliver of what the Lord went through. You know, when we were, the last time we were together, we, between Jordan and Iraq, we had this pretty silly idea to make this list, why our family should not move to Iraq. Right? And as you can imagine, that list got really long, really quick, and never, ever stopped growing, right? Like this reason, this reason, this reason, right? It just always, always kept growing why our family should not move to Iraq. But can you imagine the list that Jesus easily could have made? Why he should not leave heaven and come to earth, this darkness, this brokenness, this bondage, right? Of course that list would be, would out, outdo anything, you know, like ours, leaving, leaving family and being away from Chick-fil-A and learning Arabic, right? Any list like that is, if we think of his list, but we always had a second list of why our family should move to Iraq, and it wasn't ever about people, you know. Missions is not about people. Missions is about a person. And why our family should move to Iraq, or should have moved to Iraq, was that Jesus could be glorified. And with that on this list, the scales would always tip. Right? There was nothing that we could ever put on this list that would ever outweigh Jesus is glorified. And if that's true, then can you imagine? Can you imagine the list that the Lord would make 
Why should he come to earth? Why should he leave and why should he come? And I bet that you, my name and your name was on that list, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, we have the, the, I have that hindsight and we have the whole story of what happened from there. You know, he, he came in with such a, a strategy steeped in humility. But even if we have the whole picture, I'm not convinced that I wouldn't have done it completely different, right? That if I was tasked, okay, you have to go get mankind's attention. You have to call them to repentance so that all of history, all of eternity will shift and people can come into the kingdom of God. Ready? I'm like, okay. Cue all the natural disasters, right? I got their attention. Split the sky. I'm coming in with might and power. And we're going to get some repentance going, right? We're going to make a flashy thing. And immediately, instant attention, instant repentance. Everything's changed, right? But it's obviously not what he chose to do. He, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, shows up on the scene helpless, a dependent baby in this poor family in a nondescript era, completely off-grid, right? Like how, why that way? But if he's gonna make a global shift and he's gonna change all of eternity, it had to have been an inside-out strategy, right? Not the booming demand for repentance, but this life-on-life, -life, ongoing his kindness leads me to repentance. Through life on life, his disciples that made disciples, 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 that ended up with you. That you are now in the lineage of disciples to you and to me. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. What does this mean? Right? What, is it, what does it mean to, to live incarnationally? To live incarnationally is to live intentionally. You know, we, we were on a church planting team. I lived at a church planting team in Iraq. We, and now we're in another season of transition to where we've, we are now heading into serving, leading, equipping, resourcing all of the church planting teams across Israel and Palestine. And so we're, 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 we're excited to go into it, but you better believe that Israel-Palestine, even saying the two names together, has conflict. It's a place that has plenty of stones in the field, right? That you can imagine, that you can glean from the news, and that maybe you pray for on a regular basis. It has its stones in the field. But... You know, as we, as we plan, as we prepare, as we think, of course our minds go to Acts 1, starting in verse 6. We have, so when, the, when they had come together, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. This is, I mean, words, words are important, right? Last words are very important. So here we have these bookends of this, the Lord's time on earth. We have the nativity story, him showing up on the scene. And in this moment, he's addressing this little, little group, little team of knuckleheads, right? That are about to change all of history and change eternity. And this, this is how he, he, he equips them and encourages them. This is like the, the last line of a season finale, right? This is, a, this is a big, big deal that this is what he chooses to say right before he ascends. And that's, he, he has one, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And two, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you look at that, there's two kind of ways that you would interpret what that means, especially verse eight. And there's, the, there's figurative, uh, so you have kind of, you know, you're going to reach Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria. And what that means to me is it's kind of I, I, I minister to, I reach, I witness to, I share with my, my family and, and then maybe my friends and then maybe neighbors or strangers and then maybe out of my comfort zone, maybe difficult things, coworkers, people I don't want to talk to, right? There's this, but, but if we, no, no biblical scholar is going to say that that's, a, that that's a, a good interpretation because it's not consecutive, because it's not the word then. No one would translate that the word then. It's not Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. It's the word and. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, right? It's not a consecutive thing where we're allowed to kind of compartmentalize and build out of. The kingdom of God is an all-hands-on-deck thing. It is Jerusalem and Judea and Gainesville and the Netherlands, and Japan, and Iraq, and Israel, and Texas, and, right? It's and, 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 and. It's everywhere. Jesus needs to be glorified everywhere right now. Amen? Amen. But that is huge, right? We, we have this interpretation because it makes it a little bit more understandable. We like to think, take things one bite at a time, right? So it's like, well, let's do this and then this and then this. And, and that's not necessarily wrong, but ultimately it's everywhere right now. That is the truth that he lays before us. And so how in the world is it going to happen? I have found two things that's gonna make that happen. One, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work, and I'll put a small little caveat there, that he's doing the heavy lifting. If you've ever helped people move things and you have two strong people and they're moving something heavy, right, and that you're kind of this person that's got like one hand on it right in the middle, 
And you're like, I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm helping, right? But you're not really, I mean, you're helping, okay? You're helping. But you get, a, you know, we get this dignity, this, this honor, this privilege of being a part, being called to this great commission. We get to be a part of it. But let's be, let's be like, truthful here is that the Holy Spirit is at work and he, he is doing the heavy lifting. He is preparing hearts and minds. He is doing the, the healing, right? We get, to, we get to be a part of it. So one, the Holy Spirit is at work. Two, you know, we, we just went to Israel this past summer and it's, as you can imagine, as you likely know, it's a place rich and robust with holy sites, from Islam, Judaism, Christianity. It has lots and lots of holy sites where people are going and they're pining, right? They're pining after, reaching after this, this, this idea of holiness. You know, we're, we were at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is where kind of supposedly we have the, 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 the slab of stone that Jesus' body was laid on. And of course, it's a, it's, it's a worshipful, prayerful moment. But then I kind of noticed that there's people, I'm not, it's not a right or wrong thing if you've done it, bless you. But it's something I didn't understand where they kind of rub these, these items on it, kind of trinkets, and then they would take it home to what I imagine sits on a shelf and works like a holiness candy or, or no, a candle, like a sensi or something, right? Kind of emits this mojo. I don't, I don't know how it works. But that's not necessarily how holiness works. Um, holiness is not a place. Holiness is a person. It's not a destination, it's a disposition. Holiness is not a place, holiness is a person. And so where, where are you holy? Where, are, where do you go is it Sunday mornings? Is it micro church? Is it the books you read? Is it, is it something else? Or is it within the presence of Jesus? He is holy. He is our source of becoming holy. Not a place. Holiness is a person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, that word dwell, dwelt, we connect with the same word that we would interpret as abide, right? As I abide in, in you, you abide in me. This notion of living together, of living life together, is that invitation is still available today because if you, if you spend enough time with Jesus, then those in your life, they tend to begin to treat you like a holy site. Do people pilgrimage from their lives into yours to spend time in your presence because you have spent time in the Lord's presence? Pining. The people in your life and in your world pining in brokenness, in darkness, waiting for the sunrise, waiting on Jesus. The Old Testament was waiting on the birth 
of Jesus. The New Testament world is waiting on the gospel of Jesus. And waiting in such a way like a, you wait on Christmas, you know it's coming and you're counting it down. That's a fun way to wait. But you, you, you remember the, the story of the truck and the people waiting and they have no idea what's happening and they have no idea how, it's long, how long their pain is going to last. That's the world outside of Jesus pining and waiting on the Lord, having no idea and having no idea when all of it will end. But you know that the sunrise has come, that Jesus has come. Thank you.